You are locked on Warriors Daily Golden State Warriors podcast. I am Daniel Rue, your host, and so happy to bring you your team every day. I said I wasn't sure if I was going to do a Thursday night, Friday morning podcast, but I ended up recording a fun conversation with Peter Edmiston, who does the Locked on Grizzlies podcast, previewing that game, and it does bounce between the Warriors and the Grizzlies a little bit, but I think you'll really enjoy it and got into some stuff in terms of the playoff history between these two teams and a lot of other things. Conversation runs, I think it's about 25 minutes. I hope you enjoy it. This is such an interesting matchup now because, you know, in spite of all available evidence, in spite of everything else, uh, the Grizzlies are 2-0 and against the Warriors and have had a reasonably good record against the Warriors over the years. Do you think, is there something in the style difference, something in the, in the way these two teams match up, that the Grizzlies have a reasonable comfort level with this thing? A little bit. The Warriors sometimes struggle against teams that slow it down and really battle every possession. That's what Cleveland did in the 2016 finals, and it worked to reasonable effect, especially if the referees are going to let stuff go. They can It can certainly help in that way. And Memphis executes that to the nth degree. That's a big part of why they've been so successful. They're also very talented. But it's interesting with these two teams because for a long time, the Warriors were snake bit by the Grizzlies. And then it turned around right around that playoff series. And then now it looks like it's going back the other direction. Though there is a differentiation that can be made between that first game when Memphis absolutely smoked the Warriors and the second one where the Warriors had a big lead and then completely blew it when Memphis just was awesome at the end of that game. Yeah, I can't. That that game, uh, Danny, is such a weird aberration. I don't even know where to begin with it. Uh, you you were there. Um, what what do you what do you recall? How did that how did that happen? I, I recall missed free throws. I recall a lot of uh, missed wide open looks from the Warriors. I recall uh, offensive breakdowns. Uh, what 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 did you see from your perspective? It had a lot of the hallmarks of some other Warriors games where. Kerr has a a habit of keeping starters in at the beginning of the fourth quarter, even though the game looks or feels out of hand. And what happens in those moments, this is my personal theory, is that the starters are playing more not to get hurt than anything else. And that's justifiable. I mean, they play heavy minutes. That's very important for the team. And if the opponent executes well, they can get a little bit of a burst there. And what happened in that game was that the Warriors just never came back. The The light switch never came back on. And so Memphis used their pretty standard late game, awesome execution. Warriors missed some shots, didn't take advantage of some opportunities. And then what happened happened. It was, um, it it was kind of a pivot point. Although the, the Grizzlies, I think it embodied some of the things that, you know, those of us around here have talked about with this Grizzly team. They're really, they're, they're a bit of a strange squad. They were in November, like kind of the prototype Grizzly top defense, one of the worst offense, that kind of thing. They have got they got a little squirrely when Mike Conley came back from his back fracture, and indeed the the defense really kind of collapsed at that point. It still hasn't really returned in full uh, against some of the, the you know the, the, their 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 schedule's weird. The last few games they played a lot of bad teams and a lot of teams that have rested guys. Um, like uh, Kawhi was rested for the Spurs on on Monday, and you know so it's hard to to get a real gauge of where they're at defensively. But if you look over the last six weeks or so, I think they're like twentieth. 21st, uh, the Grizzlies in, in defense and like their top 10 offensively. What have you noticed, you know, watching this team from, from your perspective? You watch a lot of teams around the league for dunked on and for, for from, from a, an overall league wide perspective. What do you make of the Grizzlies from afar? 
I've been really impressed overall with how they've been able to manage the turnover that they've been dealing with. Because a lot of times when you when you see that sort of season that changes t- tenor a lot, it's due to personnel changeover. And that's certainly been true for Memphis. But they've been able to come through it relatively well. And one of the parts that's been so surprising to me is that they've been able to have some sort of, it, I don't think continuity is the right word, but they've been able to function offensively despite having late scratches and mm-hmm. scheduled rest. And those are components that can really derail teams, especially when they have a young bench, which Memphis certainly does. Yeah, you know, that that is, there's, um, I think that comes from having the core group having been around for as long as they have uh, with Conley and Gasol and Tony Allen and, and Zach Randolph. There's, a, there's kind of a, a, a nice centered, component there and even if those guys one or two of those guys miss there's still like a like a thing that runs through the issue for this team and i talked to to mike conley a lot about it earlier this week is like how do you pivot from you being all defense and you know enough offense to get by but certainly not that's not your calling card to being able to expand offensively without losing defense i think that's where they've you know that's where they've that's where they've started to struggle a little bit but but the warriors have similar i mean it's not it's clearly not the same but there are similar issues that have picked up here or there in incorporating kevin durant into the mix uh with that settled group as well uh, where where are they right now in in terms of that where are they functionally as you watch them on a game to game basis they're still figuring it out but they have so much talent that them figuring it out still makes them a ludicrously good team and it's it's strange because i i tell people you know i'm not sure if this is still true but as of a couple days ago the warriors were first in offensive rating and first in defensive rating and yet i still thought that they could be a lot better than they've been so far and that comes from just being a team that has four all-stars and has a lot of support pieces that make sense they're not super deep but they have enough in that way. And Durant, as, as you kind of were alluding to, he is such a massive change from a lot of the other pieces. And, and at moments earlier in the season, and the Memphis game was actually a catalyst for some of this, the second Memphis game, of realizing that a big part of what needs to happen is that he needs to fit into the Warrior system a little bit more than they need to adjust to him. And that's been kicking in over the last few weeks and has made the Warriors even better offensively because Durant has played in systems where he has to shoulder a lot of the burden himself at moments. And Katie and Russ didn't do a lot. They didn't build on each other as much. And some of that was due to the scheme. Some of that was just the personnel fit was a little bit different. And my theory was always that even back when I wrote about the possibility of Durant joining the Warriors early in last season, was that if he made that decision, it was going to be with the knowledge that he was going to have to change his game. And to a point that has happened more recently, especially over the last month. The thing I like about your discussion of the Warriors and Locked on Warriors and and, and within the, the context of what you write is there's so much noise around the Warriors. I don't even know what it must be like on a game-to-game basis to cover with this thing about uh, uh, Dur- uh, Draymond and, and Durant going at it, and then it's a big, it's actually a ploy and a psychological trick, and he's a mastermind and this, that, and the other. Do you ignore, when you're covering the team, how much of that colors what you see, write, do, uh, and how much of that do you just sort of push to the side because it's just getting so much play everywhere else? I'm very much an effects-based person. So if I feel that it is making a difference in terms of the way that they play, then it matters. If it doesn't, then it doesn't. You know, the a lot, a lot of what is going on is just kind of the 
the people involved setting the personality dynamics in place because they didn't have a ton of time to do that in the offseason. That's not really the way this works. You know, players don't hang out the whole summer together. And so they need to fi- they need to figure all this out a little bit on the fly. And Draymond is very much at moments about motivating players directly in person, sometimes with the lights on at their brightest. And so it's not surprising that that has been a part of it. But again, I fall back on the idea of, well, what does this mean for the team in general? And so they're actually one of the best examples that has happened the whole year was that animated conversation with Draymond and Durant at the end of the regulation in the Memphis game when Durant, it seemed like kind of shrugged off Stephen Curry and right. that helped lead to an actual change where he, you know, they integrated more, they moved the ball more. Stephen Curry has had a fabulous month since then. And so in that case, the conversation, whether, whether the substance of it or not was really the cause it mattered in that sense. And so I'll care about it at that that point and also the idea of breathlessly reporting the palace intrigue the drama doesn't interest me because other people are doing that and doing it well in on in another system another kind of universe maybe that would be something i would talk about but i can wait and see what happens and talk about it in that context it's funny because that's you know similar stuff happens i think to most teams it's just when it's this Warriors team, everything is amplified to 11 and you got to go into all the details of every little thing. Yeah, there was a similar situation with the Grizzlies two or three weeks ago that I, get, I think went largely unnoticed nationally where there were you know, multiple you know, yelling matches and Tony Allen was unhappy and Marcus All was yelling at Mike Conley and they were some you know, cursing and this, that and the other. And I, I just think people, you know, and you've seen this team grow and change and, and all of that. I, I think this stuff happens. And I mean, by and large, it happened, you know, a long time ago. You had Jordan punching out, you know, teammates, Steve Kerr. You had, you had uh, teammates getting after it. Uh, th- th- this stuff happens like all the time. And I, I guess, you know, in our, the social media stuff amplifies everything. We have to kind of get into the cycles of it. But to me, Danny, I, I think the, the, what you say about an effects based approach is the right thing to do because in general, the, I know the Grizzlies, at least from David Fisdale's perspective, he said a lot. I don't care if you guys scream, yell, curse, whatever. It doesn't matter to me. That's great. As long as you resolve it, as long as they're at the end of that whole thing, even if it's in public on the bench, I don't really care as long as you guys get done with that and you have a resolution and you have found something that you can agree upon and we can move on from here. Great. Otherwise, don't do it. Right. That's pretty much the way that I see it. I mean, I, I, there are two different points, I think, that are important to make with this one. You know, I think all, a lot of us, not all of us, but have a background in sports at some level, youth sports more for me than anything else. And we all got in issues if we played team sports with team players on our team. Sometimes it was in the locker room. Sometimes it was on the field, you know, depending on what it was. And so we've dealt with that. And also it's worth remembering that there are many times when the biggest things that affect the team and morale and chemistry are elements that are not reported. You know, if it's some, something weird yeah. on a personal basis, can mm-hmm. think back, you know, there are all sorts of murmurs and bat and back rooms that you hear for years after the fact on why a team underperforms relative to expectations. And so why are we focusing on the ones that we can see when oftentimes those ones are more important, but due to the code of the locker room or many other things, they do not get discussed. Yeah, there's stuff that we, you know, you can't report, you find out about things like that. But I do think that, you know, teams can be too nice. You know, I think that was a problem for this Grizzlies team a few years back, the the core with Rudy Gay and uh, those kinds of in general, they were too nice uh, and they didn't really fight. Mike Conley has taken him a while to, to mature to the point where he can kind of get after his team a little bit after the Milwaukee loss. 
early in the season up in Milwaukee, he got into, you know, an animated discussion with teammates in the locker room, which is really unusual for him. He was he's very mild mannered guy. I think you need to have a little conflict in order to move things along. That's why the, the warrior situation, I, I it doesn't even I mean, I think it's I think it's healthy. I think it's good. I, I tend to agree with with that approach that that as long as you're moving forward and this team has moved forward they that you've seen uh, and, and you have chronicled the the you know the changes in the way Steph Curry's been used the changes in the plays they run the changes in the way that they've you know Kevin Durant has kind of come on board with this so now with with that in mind the last part of the season starting I guess you know for our purposes with the game tonight but you know, it could be you know you pick pick whatever point after the all-star break whatever you want to say what is the Warriors goal within the regular season leading up to the playoffs what do they want to accomplish in that stretch of games it's the same basic goal they've had all year stay healthy and figure out what they have in in every component so what lineups work what lineups don't work what players fit well with the four all-stars so if that's zaza pachulia like they've been starting andre Guadalla, which has been the most common death lineup if that term still applies and figuring out all those sorts of things javelle mcgee will if he if he's healthy enough to play, he's probable right now for the for the game on Friday. You know how he fits with the starters and how they want to make all of this work because the Warriors are in a strange, distinct situation because teams often try to say, oh, it's about the playoffs, it's about the ring, and and that's really a matter of perspective and teams and individuals can define that for themselves. However, the Warriors actually experienced it because they had the best regular season in NBA history. They went seventy three and nine. They did not win the championship. And a lot of the players, at least from their public pronouncements, and there's no reason for them to lie, feel like the season was a disappointment. So if that's the way you feel, then you put your money where your mouth is and you make sure the regular season doesn't matter that much. So we'll see how they approach it. But a really fascinating indicator of that is the idea that Kerr is basically holding back on Zaza Pachulia and David West, not so much because they're... Uh, like that they're in some sort of like bad situation, but just because they can be patient and why not? You know, and there are, there are those that say you want to hold out on some of your matchups and showing your cards until you get to the postseason. I I want to know, I think Grizzly fans, there's, there's this talk a lot about the fact that they're, they're two and O and let's say the Grizzlies win tomorrow night. Let's say, um, that 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 maybe they go three and zero against the Warriors. Does that prove anything with regard to the to the postseason? Does is Memphis a then more dangerous or more troublesome or does 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 the season series it, it, whether it's the Grizzlies or anybody else with regard to the Warriors show anything about matchups or are the matchups and the real things strategically that are going to be done held off until the postseason? I don't think it makes a big impact unless you see it in the players themselves, again, going back to the effects-based thing. But Memphis is actually a great example of this because they had beaten the Warriors a lot and pretty soundly before that playoff series. And then they did well at the beginning of the playoff series, ended up forcing that kind of like team dinner to figure things out, if you remember. Mm -hmm. And then the Warriors won that series and came back strong and, and did well. And the benefit of having a really, really strong team is that a lot of those things end up not really mattering because mental blocks... Mental blocks only really can be a difference maker. In that point, you very rarely see an NBA team in a playoff series lose because the other team has their number. It's just not the way it works in a seven-game series. So I don't put too much stock in it, but the underlying factors, like we talked about at the very beginning about how Memphis can slow the game down, how they have really good personnel against the Warriors with individual defenders, that those underlying factors can become relevant. And so I would... 
Go ahead. Well, I was going to say when you brought that up, it was interesting because I was thinking about the playoff series. You know, the the that was the Mike Conley broken face, right. and that has taken on legendary status around these parts. And and you know, but that was they were down two one. They have the team dinner. It was by all admission like their you know come to Jesus moment. Let's figure this thing out. Uh, this is this could be really bad. But I go back because Kevin Durant now is involved and he had the same thing where he had the Mr. Unreliable headline. I don't know if you remember from back in the the series with the Grizzlies three years ago when he and Westbrook combined, I think we're shooting 20, 25 percent in the first five games of the series. And Durant had been completely stymied, mostly by Tony Allen. And they looked very likely to lose. And they pulled out a game six and seven thanks to a controversial uh, Zebo ejection and then suspension for game seven. Um, but that was another kind of moment. And it, it, it strikes me that Memphis is kind of that gatekeeper team. I think they bristle at that a little bit, understandably so that, that they're the, the team that's kind of the, the very, the very good opponent, the very tough opponent that's going to put you through their paces, but they've always just been a little too limited to actually win that. But it strikes me that I think that's been the case for pretty much everyone on that side of the ball for the Warriors that has gone through a series with Memphis. They have, and they also had that series where they knocked off the Spurs. I mean, that, I believe that was a 7-2, right? Yeah. And yeah, so yeah, yeah. They, they went through that that as well. And Memphis, you know, the part of the reason why, unless Chandler Parsons can be way healthier than he has been so far, why they kind of fit that role is that to, to win a championship, broadly speaking, you have to win four series against very good teams. And it's hard to do that if if it's if your personnel just isn't at that high level. I mean, I, I trot out the stat that I believe there have only been like four NBA champions in the last 25 years that had that did not have an, a player who had already won an MVP. Mm-hmm. And it's yep. just hard, you know, like winning a championship in that way is is difficult. The Pistons are basically the only team that has done it. There, ha- I, I believe there have been one or two others, but pretty much just the Pistons. And that makes a lot of those other teams gatekeepers. And sometimes it's just a part of the process. But Memphis has the personnel to, you know, to, to be a little bit better than that. And and the point with that always is that it's not that far, if you can get to the conference finals, let's say, to yeah. just get a couple of good bounces and make it all the way in. Memphis has gotten, they've gotten pretty close a fair number of times. And it you never know what's going to happen in the East in particular. So I'm excited for... Memphis basically in almost every playoff series. I think that they, they they are a way of shining a light on every other team. And also, this is the first year in a little while where I want to see what, what they're made of, what's different. They have a new coach. Their offense has looked much better this year. And so it's weird to think about the playoffs in early February, but that's, I guess, what happens when you when you live in the Bay and cover the Warriors a lot is that you see things from that lens, and Memphis is certainly in that picture. Well, and I think in, in, in the West this year, Danny, I mean, if, if you're one of the top seven, there's no question you're going to make the playoffs. It's just a matter of positioning. Uh, I mean, you, you, you pretty much know the structure of this thing. The Really, the only intrigue is, is between spots four through seven. Well, that's a question you know, I was going to ask you, just as somebody who follows Memphis closely, if, if you were looking at this from their perspective, who in the West, let's exclude the Warriors just because that's, if we're talking four through seven, that doesn't involve the one seed. Right. Who would you want to see and who would you not want to see? It's interesting because I, I just posed this question to, to uh, the pod listeners this week. Um, well, the Jazz are, you know, there's some, there's some, there's sort of a split opinion on the Jazz. I, I happen to think the Grizzlies would be happy with the Jazz matchup at four or five, you know, ideally at four, obviously. Um, but 
you know, they, the the Jazz are 19 and four this year when both Gordon Hayward and George Hill play, but two of those four losses are to the Grizzlies. And there is a certain matchup uh, comfort, the, the style of play that you know, Utah can use to stymie some opponents doesn't really stymie the Grizzlies. They've had a remarkable amount of success against Gobert this year, even with Zach Randolph, who you wouldn't think would be a great matchup, but he's done really well against Gobert, and Gobert hasn't really hurt them on the offensive side enough to to be a problem. Uh, Gordon Hayward has just been okay in those matchups. George Hill has been pretty well neutralized um, in a way that I was surprised by. Mike Conley, uh, what I was gonna I was gonna say, Danny, that that you know, Mike Conley's part of the problem for him, and I'm writing about this. I think he would have been an All Star this year had he not come back from his back injury too soon. There's about a three or four week stretch where he really struggled defensively. He didn't have any kind of movement. If you go watch, he just didn't finish the same way. He's been healthy for the last four to six weeks, and his numbers have been great. They were great for the first four weeks. They've been great the last four weeks. It's just that little sandwiched part in the middle. He's played really well in that matchup. So I think the Jazz, to me, would be um, ideal for the Grizzlies. I don't think the Rockets are a great matchup for them um, because of the elements of spread, pick, and roll that really just test – uh, a still nascent Grizzly defensive group. Some of their, uh, some of the groupings they put out there are not great in terms of the connection uh, when they are asked to go through rotations and when they're put through switches uh, the way that David Fisdale wants them to. It has been a little inconsistent, and that's led to some serious problems against you know guys that can that can do what I mean. There's very few that can do what James Harden could do, but he was absolutely picking the Grizzlies apart um, in the in their last matchup. So I, I think over the course of a series that would be troublesome there are a lot of people around here who like the who would be okay with the spurs matchup i'm not one of them but there there are a lot of people who uh feel like that would be a pretty comfortable matchup for the grizzlies with the exception of Kawhi and and and, and his capability what he can do but uh, they don't feel they, they feel like the grizzlies do well against aldridge slow him down and no issue with pow with this group and um i don't necessarily concur with that but uh, I think in terms of, of, of order, I think they probably, to me, it would go Jazz, Spurs, Rockets, if you, in, in terms of, of preference. But um, it, 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 I think that's probably the way it would go. And Clippers, uh, I, I'm sick of seeing that matchup, honestly, Danny. I, that, that, we've seen that so many times, so I think everyone's sick of it. That's totally fair. I will note that I had Conley on my all-star team anyway. I, I think that it was, I understand why he didn't make it just because of the way that the voters vote and the judge, right. you know, like that, it. I yeah. always have a dif- difference of opinion. That's just the he's way a tricky is. one. He's a tricky one sometimes to to characterize because of um, I mean his he's such a, an unassuming guy and such an unassuming figure and um in his in his in st- he he used to be a big steals guy you know and he's really dialed that back in favor of a little more um settled conservative approach well, he's not he's, as much he's also not as obviously great like those players always do well in the all-star game like Kyrie right. Irving Kyrie Irving is going to do well in fan voting he's going to do one other voting because he makes spectacular plays I you know they're obviously not in the same conference but I would say Conley has had a better year than Kyrie had at least when I was doing my when I was doing my rosters yeah and so you have to deal with that, and the West is super deep at point guard. So they're that's all, they're, the other thing. Yeah. They're deserving guys that don't make it. I mean, I, I'm going to be disappointed if Conley ends up being the best player in NBA history. Doesn't make an All Star t- team. It shouldn't be that way. But in terms of the Ro- uh, in terms of the Rockets and all of those other matchups, like I, I don't know. I, if, it's interesting that Tony Allen, from what I recall, and correct me if I'm wrong, hasn't done that great a job on Harden in the past, but. They're so dependent on one guy. I feel like, and as much as D'Antoni's system is wonderful, 
I feel like Memphis might be able to crack that nut, but it's not certain. Well, okay, th- this is where that matchup thing comes in because, like, um, Zach Randolph, I think, needs to play uh, a decent role in- for them to really be successful and then that bench scoring to come in because the bench can be a little iffy if he's not playing and he's not giving you those minutes. Uh, but you can't play him in those matchups because guys like Ryan Anderson, I mean, we saw it even uh, last week with the game against the Thunder in Oklahoma City. Joffrey Laverne absolutely roasted him. I mean, it was a terrible matchup. When Laverne was out there with Zach Randolph, Zach, I think I think he ended up as, as 16 and 10 uh, points rebounds-wise, but he was a minus 19 because he was just getting killed defensively every time. So the issue with the Rockets is they're just going to, I think, murder that matchup and be brutal, which means he's not going to be able to play, and, and I think that's going to be a real strain on the rest of the Grizzlies' offense. So um, I don't know that the Jazz can do that. Um, I think the, the Spurs could in theory, I just don't think it's quite as clear that they could do that. But I think the Rockets absolutely could. I think the Thunder absolutely could. Uh, I think the Warriors have every chance to do that as well um, and did. In fact, actually, in that fourth quarter, there was just a lot of missed shots in that fourth quarter. But I, I recall Kevin Durant having many wide open looks because of that very matchup. They kept Zebo out there the entire fourth quarter and it was kind of walking on a tightrope. Um, that's what it's going to be for the Grizzlies. That's why it's really matchup dependent for them, Danny. But um, if they can, you know, if they can find the right group, I think this is a better team. You know, they showed the other night um, they can make, I mean, the, the stat that blows my mind is they, they've made double digit threes in like 18 of their last 24 games, which if you go back in their last seven seasons, they made, I think 23 games of 10 or more threes and they've done it in last in 18 to last 24. I mean, they're a completely different group with regard to how they take the threes. Yeah. I'm excited to see what they can do in the playoffs. And as you said, it's, it's more a matter of who they face than if they're going to make it in. That's, that's exactly right. Uh, So tonight, do you expect win loss? Does it, um, I don't know that it's going to change the trajectory of anything, but do you think the Warriors uh, come out full strength that they're going to be late scratches? I don't think they're going to be late scratches. The only one would really be JaVale. But I think that the Warriors will... I think they'll play well. And they don't like losing to the same team twice. And they really don't like losing to the same team three times. So it could be a possibility. But you always run the the risk with a team like this that I I can understand why they would be looking for the next day when the Warriors face the Thunder in the Durant return game. And maybe they don't lose, but maybe it's closer than expected. And... Both these teams are so talented that it wouldn't surprise me at all if Memphis won. Thanks again to Peter Edmiston for taking the time to come on. You can, of course, listen to him on Locked on Grizzlies, and you can follow him on Twitter at Peter Edmiston, P-E-T-E-R-E-D-M-I-S-T-O-N. Really enjoyed talking with him, and these two teams are kind of at different places in their season, but Memphis is having a nice year. They're definitely going to make the playoffs unless something truly crazy happens, so... I'm excited about that. I enjoy watching them quite a bit. So we will look forward to that game on Friday night. And then, of course, the Warriors also have a big game on Saturday in Oklahoma City. So I will, the tentative plan at least is to do podcasts on both of those games, maybe a little bit shorter, but we'll have to see. I mean, if if either one of the games is awesome, then do something a little bit longer. So if you have any feedback, good, bad, or indifferent, NBA at gmail.com at Danny LaRue on Twitter, and we'll have a fun little time with it. So you can also check out the other stuff I've done earlier in the week, including the podcast on Kevin Durant's decisions, which is going to be kind of evergreen, probably not going to do a whole lot to change that, at least over the next few months until I get a really good 
firm grasp of the of the CBA and also in case the Warriors make any moves at the deadline or shortly thereafter that affect their cap space next year. I doubt that, but you never know. Briante Weber actually might be the most likely way that that happens. Also, if you want to check out one of the cool, th- cool new things I'm doing is for the athletics, so I'm still writing the game analysis piece after each game, but also doing this thing that they started up called Every Player, and it's a modification It's a modification of the player reviews that I did before, but the cool thing is it's now only on their app. Their app is great, but also it, it, it has embedded or included, I don't know, I don't know the tech of it, they're smarter than I am, of video highlights, so it's a way of kind of getting a little summary, so if it's Kevin Durant's one, it'll have my write-up of him, his stats, and then videos that they pulled from during the game, so I think it's a very cool way to experience the content and I, I saw it two weeks ago, but now it's actually in action. You can check it out for the Bulls game and then, of course, moving forward. So you can check that out as well. Thank you so much for listening. Take care and make it a great day.